Well, last week I spent a good part of the week in a really crummy mood, and it wasn't because the leaves were starting to fall and we're preparing for old man winter, and it's not because the lions continue to lose on the other side of Lake Michigan. We're used to that over here. I, I know for you people that are wearing those green and gold jerseys and you lose one game, you think you're on this terrible losing streak, but it's a lot different over where I live in, in Michigan. That wasn't why I was in a bad mood. I spent the better part of a week in a lousy mood because I had overcommitted myself once again and I was paying the price. Some might say it's the same song, just a different verse. Earlier this summer, I was part of a planning team that was planning some uh, workshops for a conference called ICOM. It's called the International Conference on Missions. It was going to be held in Richmond, Virginia. Several thousand people would be attending from all over the world, missionaries coming to, to talk about advancing the gospel, talking about Jesus' great commission. And we were planning this uh, church planting track, and a friend of mine was leading the sessions. He said, you know, one of the topics I'd like to have is, is called the entrepreneurial nature of church planting. And Steve, I think it'd be good for you to lead that. What do you think? And a couple of the guys nodded their heads, and I took the bait and said, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and uh, this disease to please just kind of struck and took over once again, and, and I needed to do this. Well, that was in July, and the conference wasn't until the last week of October, but I never heard anymore from the guy leading the planning sessions, and, and I thought, well, maybe that just kind of fell by the wayside. I didn't follow up with him, but sure enough, about a week before the conference was slated to begin, I received an email with a schedule for ICOM, and I clicked on there and saw the workshops, and it, it said, The Entrepreneurial Nature of Church Planting by Steve Larson, Friday at 4 p.m. And I thought, oh, man, I'm on the hook for that, and and, and when am I going to prepare? I'm already committed. I'm going to be out of town. And then we have this 700-mile trip over there. And then what am I going to prepare for this? And, and I immediately became cranky because I overcommitted once again. You know, I, I uh, got to Richmond. We went to dinner with our team, went to the hotel late that night. And thought, you know, I just don't have any time to, to get ready for this thing. But I better stay up late. So I stayed up until the wee hours of the morning. And, of course, the next morning, I was even crabbier, and my, my, I forgot to tell you, my wife was with me, and so that didn't help our relationship any. And, and uh, finally, the day the workshop was to be given, workshops at 4 p.m., about 2 p.m., I finished my preparation for that workshop and uh, walked in there and gave the presentation. And, you know, fortunately, it went fairly well. And, uh, you know, Friday at 5 p.m., I felt like I had a whole new lease on life. That thing was behind me. But by then, the conference was just about over, and I'd wasted that week, and I was a grouch with my wife, and, and I, I just messed up, you know? And I, I remember my grandma giving this statement years ago. It was a Swedish uh, statement, she said, a Swedish proverb, I don't know. She said, too soon old, too late smart. And that was me, too soon old, too late smart. I thought, you know, the days of cramming from college 30 years ago were over, but once in a while, you know, I'm having to scramble, and, and I did it again. I think, what is wrong with me? You ever relate to that, where you're having to scramble yourself? Maybe you're trying to pull something off. You're, you're on the run to the party, and you've got to have that card. You've got to have that gift, and just in the nick of time, or trying to get your son or your daughter to the performance, and you got to get the shoes on the way that look right on the stage, and, and you're going to buy whatever that store happens to be selling that day because time is, is of the essence. Maybe those cupcakes are due at school the next morning, and, and you forgot all about it. Now it's 11 p.m., and, and now you're hurried and harried and 
Your patience disappears. Your tone gets edgier. And what happens? Well, relationships end up taking the back seat, don't they? In hindsight, I had too much going on and squeezing in one more commitment into my world at that point wasn't the wisest move. It may have been better to take a pass on that one and say no. But saying no is quite difficult, isn't it? Learning to say no to the appropriate people in the appropriate way about the appropriate things can, can revolutionize your relationships. You can begin living your life on a daily basis in sync with the things you say are really important, what you say you're really all about. We're starting a brand new series around here over the next few weeks called Words. Words. We're going to take a look at some of the words or some of the principles from, from the book of Proverbs from the Bible. And, and these words or these principles can help your relationships move in the right direction. Whether you need to say no in an appropriate manner or whether you need to step up your listening game, whether you, you need to verbalize your feelings more often or show a grateful heart on a more regular basis. The proverb writer provides some principles, provides some words that can help you make some headway relationally. And this Thursday night, there will be a brand new small group that coincides with this new series as well. John Howard will be leading this at the church building here. Maybe you've been a little reluctant to be part of a small group before. And this Thursday night, you can have a, a four-week small group experience that, that coincides with this series called Words. should be a great, great opportunity for some of you. Perhaps nothing has damaged our lives and our relationships more than the inability to say no. I mean, we have a hard time saying no because we don't want to let others down. We want our children to like us. We want our spouse to be on our side. We want our boss to give us his approval or our friends to think that we've got it all together. And all the while, this acid of overactivity eats holes in our souls. The result can be stress, fatigue, burnout, a distancing from God, a relationship meltdown. And if we don't take time to visit this once in a while, this can really impact our lives. The book of Proverbs is full of practical insights and, and wisdom into daily life. Proverbs was written by uh, several different authors, but the bulk of the Proverbs were written by King Solomon, who many say was the wisest man who lived. Throughout this series, we'll be looking at various passages from the book of Proverbs that can teach us so that our relationships can become more life-giving. So here's the proverb for today. It's taken from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, and it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. The bottom line here, according to the proverb writer, is that if you don't have discipline or self-control, your life will eventually crumble like a city whose walls are broken down. And this verse paints a, a picture of a city that is susceptible to any and all attacks. There's no boundary for what goes in or what goes out. Self-control leads you to protect yourself and the ones that you love from becoming a, a broken down, defenseless wreck of regret. And this verse talks about how a lack of discipline can break down our lives. If you don't have discipline, you won't learn to say no to, to distractions or junk food, bad relationships, other opportunities, the latest and greatest impulse purchases. <laughs> By learning to say no at appropriate times, you're actually building up protection like a city that is well protected. 
If you have no defense, no wall, no discipline, you have no protection. But if you can learn to say no, you won't be able to say yes to the best things, the things that can, can help you become fully alive or fully engaged and participating in the kinds of things that matter most to both you and to God. If you're a person who rarely or never says no, you probably relate to the person who said, I'm a little overwhelmed and a lot worn down. And the challenge is not just because we live in an age that allows us to travel further, faster, farther. This challenge is living in the land of overcommitment has been around for thousands of years. You may recall the story of Moses from the Bible in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Moses was leading the children of Israel out from underneath the leadership or the, the thumb of Pharaoh back in the land of Egypt. And he had about two million people that he was in charge of. Eventually, he needed to create a whole new way of do, doing life. In Exodus chapter 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, has to step in and help unrush a season in Moses' life. Jethro helped him to get organized, and, and he set up a system that would help relieve some of his stresses. We need those kinds of people in our lives that, that can help us regroup when we're starting to, to drown from the tasks and the responsibilities of life. Near the beginning of Exodus chapter 18, Scripture tells us that there was this reunion between Moses and Jethro. When Jethro arrived, Moses went out to greet him. He hugged him. He kissed him. They spent a lot of time together. They spent quite a bit of time having a, a, a longer conversation. And the reason that we know this, that they had this conversation for a long while, is that Exodus chapter 18 verse 8 says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And he told them about all the hardships that they had encountered along the way. And he told them how the Lord had saved them. There must have been great trust in this relationship because Moses was willing to talk to Jethro about the hardships that came along the way, all the, the tough stuff he'd experienced. I mean, you don't talk about the bad stuff, about what's really going on in your life with just anybody. And Moses and Jethro must have had a good relationship they caught up about what was going on. Jethro was thrilled to learn about what the Lord was doing there. And he even ended the night with a burnt offering and sacrifices with Moses and the elders of Israel. Some would say, that was a thank you, Lord, moment. Well, Scripture says that the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. And Jethro asked Moses what was going on. And Moses said that these people needed help. And I decide what's best. Well, Jethro replied, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle this alone. And Jethro then provided some insight as to how Moses could regroup. And Moses listened and did what he said. Moses didn't resist him. Scripture says that he listened to him and did everything he said seems that Jethro was able to just kind of cut to the chase and, and tell Moses that what was happening was not good and then propose a solution. It was probably that way because they had a relationship. They had connected together. They had shared together. They had sacrificed and eaten together. Jethro wasn't get, just giving Moses a formula to help lead his people in, in a better way, he was giving him a, a, a way that he could participate in, an unrushed way of life. That was something Moses wasn't familiar with at that point, but it was something he desired. And, and Jethro was saying, 
do what you need to do in order to have healthy relationships. I mean, isn't that where you want to live too? In, in the healthy relationships? Sometimes we need to reorg like Moses did. Sometimes we need to even say no, and that can be hard. The bottom line is that we don't want to live a life where the walls seem to crumble in on us and, and we're no longer productive or helpful for anyone or, or anything, our families, our employers, ourselves, our church, our God. So what do you do in order to make the best difference with 168 hours that each one of us has been given by God? What do you do with that time? Well, maybe you can flip. Well, you say, yeah, I flip, I flip out all the time over my schedule. Of course, that's what I do. Well, this, this idea of, of, of flipping, to flip, is what about flipping or your, your current decision-making techniques? Dick Fosbury was a high jumper. He had a crazy idea. He believed that he could jump higher if he lowered his center of gravity. And, and the way he did that was he would go backward, head first. And his coaches just thought he, he was fearless. Well, using this brand new technique, Fosbury won a gold medal in the Olympics in Mexico City by implementing this new way. He decided if he wanted to improve his abilities, he'd have to change his approach. He, he flipped his approach. That's what he did. And today, more than 40 years later, high jumpers around the world still use Fosbury's method, nicknamed the, the Fosbury flop. And what if we, like Dick Fosbury, we decided to flip or flop? We flipped our decision-making techniques. We what would that look like? What kind of an impact might that make both for now and eternity? I mean, if you're like me, the, the reality of our current technique is that other people's requests dictate the decisions that we make. We become slaves to others' demands when we let our time become dictated by other people's requests. And we live reactive lives instead of proactive lives. And reactive lives get very exhausting very quickly. And we get requests. We, we fill up our schedules all the way to the limit. And that leaves very little margin or white space, doesn't it? I mean, if I want to change, it won't happen by trying harder or dreaming more. I have to change. I have to flip my approach to the way that I make decisions. And maybe that goes for you as well. What is that thing that gets put on your January resolution listing each year and then disappears because of an overcrowded schedule? I mean, is there something that's God-honoring that's on that listing? Perhaps you've always wanted to write a book or go on a mission trip. Always wanted to get out of debt or start a business or, or volunteer in that local ministry. I mean, what if you took time to write out that next big goal of life? And what if you were bold enough to write down the, the first steps for accomplishing such a thing? And what if you were audacious enough to, to even actually schedule time to work into your schedule on those first steps where you schedule time in your daytime or in your calendar, on your smartphone, you block out time in advance to work on those very first steps on something that might just be something that starts filling up your soul and helps water your relationships as well. It's been said that the decisions that we make dictate the schedules we keep. And the schedules we keep determine the lives that we live, and the lives that we live determine how we spend our souls. And friends, this is not just about finding more time. 
This is about honoring God with the time that he's given us. He's given us all 168 hours each week. And you have certain responsibilities that take up a good portion of those hours. But what if you tried this? What if you tried to, to flip it all around where you list out your duties, the things you just have to do, and the number of hours that they take up on an average basis. And at the end of the week, you may have a number that might be used differently. Maybe that number is, is four Maybe the number four, four hours might be the amount of time that you have remaining that can be invested in soul-enriching, God-honoring goals that might be in the back of your mind. Now, if that sounds a, a little selfish to you, try this little trick. Simply add the phrase, so that I may bless whom? So that I may bless whom? I want to write a book, so that I may bless whom? I want to go on a mission trip, so that I may bless whom? I want to get out of debt so that I may bless whom. I want to start a business so that I may bless whom. I want to work in that local ministry so that I may bless whom. If, if you really want to flip things around, it starts by creating a goal that allows you to be a blessing to others. I mean, what God-honoring goal is in the back of your mind these days? Maybe you need to create a, a filter. I mean, how, how do you handle requests for your time? I mean, here's a filter that might just help in different areas to consider. How do you handle it when it, when it comes to your time? It may, making a difference with this 168 hours with, with regard to my time. I mean, is the schedule that's required, uh, does, does it allow me, does, does it align with the time that I have available to invest? Does my schedule align with my time? Or what about my ability? Am I equipped with the necessary skills to carry out the functions of this opportunity? If someone asked me to serve on a website development team, the only thing I would be good for is crashing it. I mean, I, I, would, I couldn't contribute anything, and that, that does not align with my ability. Or what about my money? Can I afford the financial responsibilities that come along with the opportunity that's been presented? It's been said that if our if our outgo is more than our income, then our upkeep will become our downfall, right? So we need to kind of see if our finances align with this opportunity. What about my passion? Do the responsibilities of this opportunity evoke a sense of dread or, or instead of a fulfillment of the heart? <laughs> Do I dread this idea? You know, I, I, was, uh, I started a new job this year working for a group called the Solomon Foundation, and I talked with my boss, our CEO, when I started this role and said, you know, I, I've been uh, participating in a teaching uh, relationship with River Glen for nearly a decade. And I'd like to continue that. Ben would like to keep that going. And, and I like the people there. And it's been a good partnership. And he said, yeah, I mean, if you want to keep doing that, keep doing that. And that's a passion for me. I like the connection that we have. And so he's allowed me to continue that. That aligns with my passion. So I make the time to do that. What about you with, with regard to your season of life and my, my season? Is there currently something that must take a higher priority during this season of my life? And therefore, the timing is off for me to take this opportunity. Maybe you're walking around with diaper bags in both arms these days, and it's hard for you to say yes to too many extra things. Or maybe you're uh, watching uh, older parents age, and you're having to deal with them, and, it, and you need to be more available for them, so you can't be available over here. Maybe you have kids and parents you're dealing with, and you're wondering, how in the world do I have time for anything? But, but uh, the season of life is, is a key factor in determining what you say yes to, what you say no to. Sometimes a request is made, and we immediately know that the answer should be no. But if you're like me, sometimes you might just delay, and that, that doesn't do any good. 
If, if I delay, sometimes I think, well, maybe that request will just kind of go away, but that doesn't really happen, does it? And really what happens is I'm building their hope that I might say yes. I'm preventing them from being able to find somebody else to, to serve in that manner. And then it makes the eventual no that much more difficult to deliver. Using a tactic of delay doesn't help things go down any better. Most of us were raised to be nice. And we often think that saying no is not nice. But no can be said in the right way using grace in your tone. I mean, it's not just a, a firm, no, no, can't do that, no. It, maybe it's more like, uh, while my heart wants to say yes, my, the reality of my time makes this a no. I mean, some of us need to let our, our brains boss around our hearts a little bit more often. My dad used to say he too often let his heart get in the way of good judgment. Or, or maybe you say, I'm sorry, but I can't give this the attention it deserves. And this graciously honors the person's request, acknowledging that it has value, that it needs attention, but it allows us to honestly admit that we can't be the one to give the necessary time right now. Or maybe even, I can't then, but what about this time frame instead? And you could perhaps suggest timing that might work better into a space that's more flexible. The bottom line is that we're afraid to say no because we're afraid of people not liking us. <laughs> In reality, it, it's impossible to please everyone. And wearing yourself out to do so can make you the, the, the unhappiest person in the room, and then nobody wins. You're unhappy, your relationships are shaky, your relationship with God isn't a, a, a poor place. Maybe you need to flip your decision-making techniques or, or create a, a filter in your world. Or perhaps just follow Jesus' way. Jesus lived his life in a way that aligned with the things that he deemed most important. On every single page of the Gospels, we see Jesus living intentionally. We read that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We read that he, he came to serve and not be served. We read that he came to reveal God's love to us. And when you look at the activities of his life, these purposes are, are seen very regularly. He said no to the temptation of wealth and power. He, he said no to condemning sinners. He said no to busyness. He he said no to countless things that could have distracted him so that he could say yes to the mission of helping people find their way back to God. He said no in order to say yes to the most important things. He refused to be like a city whose walls are broken down. And if you flip your technique of making decisions rather than wait for requests and then react, but determine what God wants you to participate in, and if you put requests in through a, a filter that we talked about, you're better able to make a difference with your life, your one and only life, at, now and for eternity as you follow Christ. And what is it that God might be calling you to participate in these days? I mean, what do you need to say no to in order to say yes to his leadings? Can you imagine what might take shape if, if like Jesus, you determine your purposes and then, then do whatever it takes so that your life is aligned with his purpose? I mean, I don't know where God is leading you today, but can you begin by being open to his leading? There may be a, a Jethro-type person in your world who comes along and even helps show you the way a bit more clearly. And for you, a new chapter might yet be written in your life. For you, perhaps God is saying, the best is yet to come. Back in the days when Ann Landers published her daily advice column, she 
ran a heartwarming story one day. A woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness and was given only three months to live. So she asked her pastor to come to her home and, and discuss her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at her funeral and which scriptures she wanted read and, and even what outfit she wanted to be buried in. And then she said one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. The pastor was kind of surprised, and, and then the woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. She said it was my favorite time because I knew something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful. And she added, I want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand and wonder, what's with the fork? And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. And the pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he bid the woman goodbye. And he realized that she had a, a better grasp of heaven than he did and knew something better was coming. At the funeral, when people asked him why she was holding a fork, the pastor told them of the conversation he'd had with a woman before she died. And he said he could not stop thinking about the fork. And he knew they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. <laughs> Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And when your life is making a difference for Christ, you'll be surrounded by people that are grateful that you said yes to the purposes of God. Now, I haven't always had this down. You know, I suffer from this disease to please far too often. Maybe I want the approval of others. I have a good relationship with my dad, and he's told me that he's proud of me. But you know, maybe for you, you've run really hard because you just want your dad to say, man, I I'm proud of you. Well done. Or you want your boss to say, thank you. That was a really good effort, and it's not coming, so you run a little bit harder. Now, I talked earlier about being too soon old and too late smart, but you know, one thing I did right in parenting was... When my son graduated from high school, we had a reception at our home with a couple dozen people that were kind of close to him and had an impact on his life. We gathered in a circle, and I gave a little speech. And part of the speech, I just said, you know, Michael, Mom and I are really proud of you, and, and I love you, she loves you, and, and we love you not so much for what you do, although what you do, we're, we're proud of that too, but we love you for who you are. We want him to recognize that he has intrinsic value because he is not a human doing, a human being. He created in the image of God. And friends, I think sometimes we forget about that, so we just run fast and we say yes to everything so that we can please people. And God is all along, all the time saying, I'm pleased with who you are. I made you in my image and I love you. You have value, not because of what you're doing, but because of who you are. <laughs> we forget about that and we struggle. So this disease to please raises its ugly head once again. Now, maybe that's an area that you struggle with and you need to get your life, kind of the, the pace of your life, on the right track again. Craig's going to be singing a song today. It's going to be a reminder. Maybe when you're a child, you learned the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. But This is a different Jesus Loves Me. But it still says, Jesus is for me. God is for me. That's a great reminder. Maybe if you're like me, you'd just like to stand when this song is being sung as a silent statement to God and the people around you saying, I want to get my life around, aligned with the priorities that God has for me. I want to get the pace under control. I need wisdom and I need some help. So as Craig sings, if, if that's a challenge for you, I'm just going to invite you to stand.
individually and make a statement and say, God, I need you. I'm going to be blazing the trail right over here because my name is Steve and I have a disease to please. And maybe you do too. And if you do, join with me and we'll ask God for help together as Craig sings.